Luke chapter number 8, verse number 1, and he spake a parable unto them to this end. It's interesting that the Lord's getting ready to tell us a parable, but before he tells it, he says exactly this is the purpose, this is the lesson that that I'm going to teach you. A lot of times we read those parables and we have to study and we have to think about it and we have to find maybe some of those, I wouldn't say hidden meanings, but parables are abstract and they're, they're metaphors sometimes and they paint a picture and sometimes we have to figure out just exactly what picture the Lord's painting through that parable. But this is one that right off the get-go, the Lord tells us this is the purpose of this parable. So having uh, having that in mind, let's continue verse uh, number one, the second part of the verse, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That Bible word faint doesn't mean, oh, and then we pass out. The, the word faint means to stop, to quit. Now, certainly if you pass out and faint, you just stopped. <laughs> Something stopped. But the word faint means more than just to like pass out. Verse number two, saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. This is a judge that the Lord saying he didn't care what anybody thought of him. We've all been around those type of people, have we not? They don't care what you think. They don't care what any anyone in authority thinks. They are independent to a fault. And in many cases, if you get around these kind of people very long, you'd say, wow, that guy's a real jerk. <laughs> this is the kind of judge that the Lord's telling about. In verse number three, it says, and there was a widow in that city... And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. A widow is someone who's powerless. They didn't have, they didn't have anybody to take up for them, to provide for them. In the scripture, the widows were very powerless type of people. So we've got a judge that he doesn't care what anybody thinks. No one's going to pull anything over on him. And then we have a powerless widow who's coming to him and she says, Avenge me of mine adversary. Verse number four. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. You get the picture here this morning? This woman's going to be a royal pain if I don't give her what she wants. Verse number 6, And the Lord said, now, this is Jesus speaking again. Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? So God's going to bear long with us. But then he says in verse number eight, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. What I want to talk to you about here today is simply your prayer life. Let's pray. Father, help us today. Thank you for the great singing, the great songs, Lord, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for these that have come to church today. And Lord, we realize that everyone here today has a particular need, and we know that only you know what those needs are. We pray that you would lead us and guide us. We are doing the best that we know how to preach what you want us to preach. 
We ask you, Lord, by the grace of God, that we would preach it with your power, with your unction. And God, that this message here today will be a huge help and an encouragement to someone, that it might be instructive. Perhaps maybe it might even be a reproof or a rebuke to someone. Uh, Lord, just guide us and direct us into your truth. We just pray for your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we've already mentioned, the primary lesson is in verse number one, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Brothers and sisters, we can't stop praying. We're living in a a day and age where evil seducers, evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. We see all kinds of problems around us. We go through problems, and sometimes this life makes no sense whatsoever. I was reminded in prayer this morning about Job and how that Job went through some horrible trials. Do you know that Job lost all of his children in one moment's time? And the Bible says, how did Job react to that? The Bible says that he fell down on his face and he worshipped the Lord. Sometimes we have so many things in life, so many hopes and dreams and ambitions, and when Life comes along, the devil comes along, and sometimes our expectations are crushed. We often react in a very unfaithful way. We begin to blame God or we begin to hide from God. We think, what's the use? We we did right and the result was wrong and it just didn't come out the way that we hoped and planned. And the same exact thing happened, happened to Job, and yet he fell down on his face and he worshiped. He was able to see past his circumstances, his hopes and his dreams, and to look past it and to see God Almighty and say, naked I came into this world and naked shall I return thither. He looked past his circumstances through the eyes of faith. The secondary lessons that we see here include persistence in prayer, not giving up. And we also see something that we have to read between the lines here We see the goodness of God because Jesus is making a clear contrast between an unjust judge that would turn around and even though he doesn't care about anyone, just for the sake of keeping someone from being a nuisance to him, he'll give them what they want. And the Lord's making a comparison. If that unjust judge will do for someone what they want, How much more would God do for you and I, our His elect, even though He forbears, He's patient? Brothers and sisters, God will answer your prayer. But He doesn't always do it the way or in the time that we want Him to do it. The Lord says here that He'll avenge them speedily. You say, wait a minute, I had a need. And I prayed, and God just didn't seem to answer that. Well, I've got news for you. He might have answered it. It may just be that he has a different way in bringing it out to fruition. We saw that not long ago in Daniel chapter number 10, about how that Daniel sought the Lord, and the Lord answered him on day one. And then 21 days later, Gabriel shows up to explain God's answer And he explains to Daniel, he said, the day that you sought the Lord, he sent me to give you the answer. But he said, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, lo, these one and twenty days. For three weeks, 
there was a battle going on in the unseen realm between Gabriel and one of the devil's prince angels who was organized over the kingdom of Persia. And there's this battle going on. And Michael, the archangel, had to show up and help out Gabriel. And three weeks later, the answer comes. Brothers and sisters, we don't know what's going on from heaven's perspective. And that's why it's so imperative that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Don't quit. Don't stop because we have no idea what our good heavenly Father and judge is doing on our behalf in answer to our prayers. We also see in verse number 8, when the Son of Man comes, when Jesus returns, will He find faith on the earth? Listen, I, 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 don't, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm concerned that as I look around us and I see so many of God's people losing faith, quitting on God, maybe staying in church. You know, you can sit in a church pew and still quit on God. Oh, it's easy to go through all of the outward workings of the Christian life and not have anything in your heart and in your soul. Will the Lord find faith when He returns? These are great lessons. But what I want to talk to you about here today is your prayer life. Do you have one? Now, I do not mean by this question, do you pray? Listen, many people, if I said, do you pray? They would say, yes, yes, I pray. You can pray and still not have a prayer life. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt to my own shame. There are many prayers that should be habitual. Listen, I believe mealtime. We should thank God for the food that He's provided for us. We should ask Him to bless that food. I believe that we should pray for safety. I think it would be a good habit for every single one of us the minute that we get in our car and get ready to pull out of our driveway, that we pray. Notice I didn't say, close your eyes and bow your head. I mean, unless you're still sitting in the driveway. But as you get ready to leave your house and go out into traffic, listen, do you realize what goes on out there in traffic? More and more, I see people, when I'm going around a curved road and I meet someone heading my direction, how often do you get someone that crowds you on that that solid yellow line? Happens all the time. It didn't used to. People you could stay in their lane. Why don't they today? Because they're probably on their phone. They're probably looking on their phone and they're not paying attention to what they're doing. It's dangerous out there. There's drunk drivers. There's people that are inattentive. There's all kinds of things going on. It used to be that you could drive a car and you might drive to the store and you may pass four cars on your way to the store. Yeah, that was a pretty busy day. Nowadays, you pass four cars before you get a hundred yards out of your driveway. Folks, it's a dangerous world out there. Why should we not say, Lord, I ask you to keep me safe on the roads out here? You don't have to make it a two-hour prayer. You can just say, Lord, I pray for your safety. I think that would be a good habitual prayer. I think that bedtime prayers are a good habit to get in. A lot of times, I don't necessarily go through a formal prayer, but 
most of the time when I lay my head down on my pillow at night, I say, well, Lord, thank you for another day. Good night, Lord. I ask you for a good night's sleep. Would you bless my sleep? And I look forward to spending some time with you in the morning. That's a good habit to get in. Now, listen, some people, some people, I want to give you some wisdom here because the devil will use a lot of things against God's children to get them to faint, to stop praying. And one of the things that he will do is he will take your habitual prayers. Listen, I'm not saying that you should allow those prayers of habit to become meaningless. We should always remember what we're doing and not, hey, listen, I've had times where I'm pulling out of the driveway and I say, Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for this. Uh, You know, it's like pulling the string. There's a snake in my boots. It happens. You know, we're, we're, we're human. And it's easy to get into those rituals that become meaningless. I'm not saying to let your prayer become ritualistic and meaningless. But I am saying this. Don't stop with those habitual prayers And let the devil try to convince you that, hey, you're just being a hypocrite, so what's the use? Just stop doing it. No, keep doing what's right, and then make sure that you get your heart back into it when you stray. It's human nature. The devil wants to do nothing more than to get God's people to stop praying, to faint. Because when we faint in our prayer, then faith begins to cease upon this earth. And in this life that we live as God's children, it is a life of faith. He that cometh to God. Coming to God, we come to Him through prayer. He that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. This is some things that we need to understand in our prayer life. Don't stop praying just because you have human weakness. Now, there are so many things, folks, that we could talk about with prayer. I mean, we could preach for the rest of this year every Sunday and not exhaust all of the meaningful things that we could talk about from the Scripture about prayer, the blessings of prayer, the joy of prayer, the things that we ought to be praying for, and on and on and on. But I want to focus on three specific things that I believe are valuable when it comes to having a prayer life. Number one, a prayer life means you have a relationship. Prayer is instigated by your heart and not by your schedule. I understand human weakness and frailty. And I understand as a preacher, as a pastor, I stand up here and I tell you, you need to pray. And oftentimes we think, okay, I need to pray, and we create a checklist. We make sure, look, if I'm going to be a good Christian, then I need to pray, I need to read my Bible, I need to go to church. And yes, these are all very valuable outer workings. The Pharisees in the time of Jesus were masters at the motions of religion. They had it all figured out to the finutest detail, but they had lost their heart. They didn't know God. They had lost a relationship with the Lord. 
And if you'll recall, the Lord Jesus did not say, don't do what they're doing. In fact, he said, do what they're doing, but just make sure you don't do it for the same reasons. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Prayer is supposed to be instigated by your heart. I've said this just a few weeks ago. I was using the analogy of the husband-wife relationship. Listen, I believe that husbands and wives should spend time together, communicating, fellowshipping, spending time caring about one another's needs. Listen, if, if I go to my wife and I say, uh, hey, honey, um, I, I've got you on my schedule here. I worked you in here for 20 minutes. Can we sit down and have time together? Ladies, how much, how many of you are going to appreciate that? No, you, you don't. <laughs> I saw a husband raising his wife's hand up. <laughs> hey, listen, ladies, <laughs> cut your men a little bit of slack. <laughs> men are wired that way. I, and, and it's hard. I, you know, we get too much on our plate and we want to, we want to be good husbands but we don't know how. God help us. And in the same, you know, the same human frailty, and this works for you ladies as well. You know, some of you ladies, it's just like, well, my husband has a certain expectation and, you know, I want to be a Proverbs 31 woman. It's a two-way street. You can end up doing the same things and do it for your husband and you're doing it because you don't want him to fuss at you. Or you don't want him to. You can be doing it not because you love him, and because you care, but because you want to be the perfect wife. It's just so subtle how that we can do the right things and end up not having a real relationship and real fellowship with the Lord. And that's why this message, I believe, is so important because we're not talking about you praying. We're talking about your prayer life. And if you're going to have a prayer life, that means that you have a relationship. In Acts chapter number 16, it says on the Sabbath, this is the Apostle Paul and his company, it says that uh, they on the Sabbath they went out of the city by a riverside where prayer, watch this, was wont, W-O-N-T, to be made. You know what Paul's saying? I'll, I'll explain this you know, this King James English to in modern terms. He's saying that we wanted to go find a good place to pray, and he sought it out. They went looking, and here's this riverside, and there were some people gathered there, and we sat down, and they began to speak to the, the ladies that were there. But they went there because they wanted to pray. You know, I we, we had a good visit uh a couple of weeks ago in uh, in Idaho with family and whatnot, and we were able to stay some with some very dear friends. And one of the things, in all honesty, that I missed was, um, you know, when you're in someone else's house and home, it's just finding that private place where you can pray. And uh, I was able to work a few things out and, uh, you know, get up early enough to where it's still dark and able to go out on the back porch where they had a fenced-in backyard. So I felt a little bit of privacy, and I was able to pray out there, but it just, it wasn't the same. It wasn't 
I just had a hard time, and I'd say, Lord, please help me to pray here. I'm, I'm a little out of my comfort zone, out of my routine, but Lord, I want to talk to you, and I want to fellowship. And I had some distractions there, but the Lord knew my heart, and He knew that I'm out here not because I want to be able to tell people that I prayed. I'm out here not because I want to have a clear conscience and not feel guilty because I didn't pray, but I'm out here because, Lord... I want to spend some time with you. I need you. And I need your blessings. And I need your wisdom. I just need to, to talk to you. And that's what a relationship is all about. If your prayer life is relational, it will be filled with worship, praise, gratitude, and transparency. I had a particular burden that I was bearing recently and. I'd be talking to the Lord, and I, I don't know if you, you are like this. I, I hope you're not, actually. But when I get something on my heart or my mind, my one-track-minded nature, it just no matter what I think about, it just seems to come back. And so I'm talking to the Lord, and, you know, the Bible says to cast your care upon Him, for He careth for you. The Bible talks about, about the Lord bearing our burden. So I'm, I'm giving my burden to the Lord. And in my mind, I wanted to move on and I wanted to talk to him about other things. And about half a dozen times as I'm praying and as I'm talking to the Lord, I find myself going right back to that burden, complaining. And the next thing you know, I'm not praying. I'm just mulling it over in my mind. And I don't know how many times I've had to stop. Hey, listen, do you know the Bible says that when we pray based on the merits of Jesus Christ, do you know that we are in our spirit, that we are standing before the throne of grace? Listen, if, if, I, was standing, if I was standing before a great leader, I started to say the president, but if I was standing before a great leader that I respected and that had power and authority and, and I had a moment to talk to them, do you think that I would complain to them about my problems? Do you think that I would waste their time and stand there and try to figure out my problems and talk to myself while I'm in front of them? No, I wouldn't do that. But I found myself doing that with the Lord. And on several occasions, I just have to stop and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I just, my, my thoughts just, got focused on myself, and I completely became oblivious of you. Now, thank God He didn't strike me dead with lightning. I think that the Lord sometimes... Hey, if you were a father and you had a teenage son that did the same thing in front of you, you'd probably just chuckle and say, it's okay, son, I know. And I think maybe, I hope maybe, that the Lord, although He is a holy God, we never should approach Him flippantly, I think that the Lord probably would say, it's okay, son. I understand more than you realize. Thank God for that. But if you have a prayer life, then your prayer is going to be relational. It's going to be filled with worship. You're going to spend some time saying, Lord, I want to praise you. Have you ever praised the Lord and just felt like you just didn't have the words to say to describe who He is? I mean, we can say, Lord, you are good. You are merciful. You are kind. You are holy. You are an awesome God. You are incredible. You are beautiful. All the things that He deserves to hear. 
But I don't know about you. Those words come off of this fleshly tongue. I think, how cheap and unworthy. And I'm doing the best that I can with the, 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 the verbiage that I have to, to try to tell the Lord what I think about Him. But I always go back to what the psalmist said when he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless Thy holy name. Lord, I don't have the words, but Lord, with everything within me, I just want to bless You because You are worthy, because You're so good, and You're so kind, and thanking Him. Listen, you ought to spend time every day talking to Jesus Christ. Is He not our mediator? Is He not our Savior? You ought to spend some time just saying, Lord Jesus, thank You for what You did for me. Thank You for what You did in the Garden of Gethsemane. You sweat those great drops of blood in agony. All of your friends, basically, you had one that betrayed you. You had everybody else that fled from you. You had to go through it alone. They spit upon you. They mocked you. They wagged their heads. They gnashed at their teeth. They challenged you. You were weary and tired. You went all night long without any sleep. You had fatigue. And then they started beating you with their fists in your face. They started plucking out your beard. They put a crown of thorns on your head and smashed it down. They took those that whip and they began to beat your back. They drove those nails in your hands and feet. Jesus, your word says you did that for my sins. You did it for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you did for me. That's fellowship. That's gratitude. Listen, when you have a prayer life, then you will know what it means to pray in Jesus' name. When you say in Jesus' name, that's not some type of a magical incantation. You are coming before the Lord based upon the merits and the person of Jesus Christ. Listen, God is a holy God. And for us to think that we would have any audience with Him, let me tell you something you go out in your yard and you find a bunch of a bunch of ants. I know you can do that. Every yard has ants. Go find a bunch of ants and uh, and say, "Okay, ants, I want you to communicate with me." They're not going to be able to communicate with you. I mean, because we are so much higher. They don't they can't talk. They don't have the intellect. Do you know that the the gap between us and a holy God is infinitely greater than the gap between us and an ant. And yet, we can talk to God. Listen, we do that based on the merits of His Son, Jesus Christ. If you have a prayer life, then you understand what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Secondly, a prayer life will make prayer instinctive. We were at a brother and sister's house just the other night. They moved out into the country and was talking to this brother and uh, he's talking about just how beautiful it is out there away from all of the city lights and neighbors and all of that. And he made a statement that was so profound. He said, sometimes I just like to look up at night. He said, you know, people don't look up 
at the stars or at the sky anymore. Have you noticed that, folks? People don't spend a lot of time looking up into the stars. I don't know how many times back when, uh, back when our dog was still alive, I'd uh, take the dog to go potty every night before we'd go to bed, and sometimes I'd just stand out there and wait on the dog, be on the back porch, and it'd be a clear night. And I'd just look up and see the stars and say, Lord, I... And whatever's on my heart at that time, I'd say, Lord, would you help this situation? You know, it wasn't on my schedule. But if we would just look up and be more aware of him, then that certainly would help us to have a prayer life. Our prayer would become more instinctive rather than a checklist. In Nehemiah chapter number 2 and verse number 4, Then the king said unto me, What dost thou make request? So I prayed, Nehemiah said, to the God of heaven. If you just read a few verses before, you find that Nehemiah had a burden for his people, a burden for Jerusalem, and he had been praying to God, God, send a man to rebuild Jerusalem. I don't know how long that Nehemiah had been praying, but this was something that he was eat up with. And I'm sure that as he was before the king and he's the cupbearer and he's before the king and the king could see that his countenance was sad and that he had a burden on his heart. Now, you didn't do that in the king's presence. The king, I mean, the king was supposed to be influencing how you felt. You weren't supposed to be influencing how he felt. And Nehemiah, when the king said, what's on your heart? Nehemiah said, So I prayed to the God of heaven. Listen, Nehemiah didn't say, oh, time out, king, and get down on his knees and begin to pray. No, it was instinctive. It was one of those things where he said, oh, God, help me. And he said it in his mind, but not with his voice. His heart said, oh, God, this is what I've been looking for. This maybe is an opportunity, God, and just real quickly, God, Give me wisdom to say what I should say before this king. Maybe even Nehemiah would say, Oh God, please don't let the king uh, chop off my head because I was sad. I'm sure that all of these things are going through his mind. But the important thing to remember is that Nehemiah, because he had a prayer life, his prayer was instinctive. Hey, here's the wrong way to look at this. And... I gotta confess my fault. I have been so guilty of this. The wrong way is this. We've done all we can do. Now all we can do is pray. You know, I've said that to people before. I have, to my own shame. You know, I'm wired that way. When a, when a problem comes, you know what my first instinct is? To throw some work at it. To start thinking about it. To solve the problem roll up my sleeves, and hey, if I give more work to it, then I can fix it. How many of you are fixers here today? Shame on us. <laughs> we're, a, we're, a, we're a sad lot. And so often, we think or we, we go about problems the same way. It's like, well, I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to do, and When I've done all that I can and it's not fixed, well, I guess as a last resort, I'm going to pray. The right way to look at it is we prayed all we can pray. 
Now, what can we do? What can we do? You know, there are times, brothers and sisters, that we pray and we say, God, help with this situation. And God says, I am going to help with it. You just need to be responsible and do what you're supposed to do. You know, this, this passive thing of being a coward and not doing what you know is the right thing to do, not following the principles of God's Word. You know that if you ask God to do something that He told you to do, don't expect Him to answer that prayer. You know, if you're saying, God, please save my loved one, and you've never given him a track, and you've never witnessed to him, God's listening to your prayer saying, you need to obey my Word. Why would I answer your prayer if you don't obey the Bible? You know, there are times when you're supposed to go to a brother and try to make things right. You're supposed to deal with it. And you're like, no, we'll just pray. We'll let God do it. That's not faith. That is passivity. It's irresponsibility. You know, it's interesting. In the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira were religious pretenders. And they came and they told the apostles, yeah, we sold our property. We gave it all to God. And you know what happened to Ananias and Sapphira as they stood before the apostle Peter. God dropped them dead. Peter didn't drop, but Peter didn't even say, oh God, they're lying, drop them dead. No, they just, here's Peter and they're telling him, yeah, we sold it all. And all of a sudden, boom, they dropped dead. I wonder what Peter thought of that the first time. It's like, whoa. (laughs) Man, that'll make you honest, won't it? And so the first time when these problems were going on, God dropped them dead. By the time we get to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, you know what God says to the church at Corinth? He said, you're puffed up. You got all this sin in your midst and you're not dealing with it. You know what God does sometimes? He shows us what He thinks of something and then we're supposed to follow His example because you know what? Listen, if God was, if God had not shown us how to deal with some problems, we'd see a lot of people dropping dead all around us. Because churches are filled with people that ain't real. That are trying to pretend to be something that they're not. You say, why doesn't God drop them dead? Well, I'll tell you why. Because God says, you're supposed to deal with it. That doesn't mean, I'm not, don't misunderstand me. I didn't mean kill them. I'm talking about church. I'm talking about conference. You got to be careful here. Well, that's what the preacher said. No, 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 no. You're misunderstanding. The Lord says, confront it. Matthew 28, or excuse me, Matthew 18. You need to deal with it. You need to confront it. You need to get that leaven out of the lump. You need to You need to deal with the problems. If we know what God says we're supposed to do, then we need to do it. And then and only then is the Lord going to answer our prayers. Romans chapter 12, verse number 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, And that last phrase, continuing, instant, in prayer. A prayer life will make prayer instinctive. And then my last point, number three. A prayer life 
means you have a place and you have a time. If you've ever been in the Middle East or in a large city, if you've been in the Detroit area or the New York area, you have no doubt seen Muslims praying. Muslims have a rule, this is part of their law, that a Muslim is supposed to pray five times a day facing toward Mecca. At dawn, at noon, mid-afternoon, at sunset, and then after dark. And a faithful Muslim will do that, no pun intended, religiously. And that's a very important part of their religion. And notice I use the term religion, not the word faith. It's a very important part. It's one of the five pillars of their religion. I remember being at Jerusalem at the Wailing Wall years ago during the Passover week. And there were literally thousands of Jewish people all around the Wailing Wall. Some were close to the wall and some were a little bit far uh, further out. And of course, a lot of times they would write down little prayers and they would roll up that paper and those prayers and then they would put them in a crack in that wailing wall, which is part of the foundation of the temple. I always think about Brother Micah and the crack back here on the bricks in the wall. And he was making, having some fun with that about rolling up a piece of paper and sticking in there. You remember that, brother? I still think about that when I think of the wailing wall. We had a good laugh with that. But you know, as I was at that wailing wall and I was just walking around, there were tourists all around, but there were people that they were very devout. And I watched even young people, teenagers, that were out there with their dads. And they had the, the, the hat on and they were dressed in very uh, um, conservative Jewish attire. They've got their Hebrew scripture in front of them, and I saw people all over the place. And I would see young people holding their Jewish, their Hebrew scripture in front of them, and they would be chanting their prayers. And I thought, wow, they seem so devout. Their, their, their religion seems so meaningful. And I would just kind of try to find a vantage point where I could see their countenance. And almost all, old and young alike, it just seemed so lifeless and routine. And yes, devote. Yes, diligent. But I didn't see a lot of heart there. In fact, I, can, I still I have a picture somewhere that I took very candidly. I didn't want to be disrespectful. But I can still picture in my mind a teenage boy. He's probably, no doubt, a, a man and a father now, but he was with his dad. And he's just, he's, he's saying the words. He's going back and forth, but he's just kind of looking around like, I'm just doing it because I'm supposed to. Listen, knowing, knowing the lingo of prayer doesn't mean that we speak the language. Prayer life means you have a place and a time, but you ever wonder how their devotion to God, the Muslims and the Jews, how does that make the Lord feel about our devotion to Him? If they can have a lifeless, 
meaningless prayer that isn't even in Jesus' name, that they don't have a mediator, they don't have the Holy Spirit of God. If they can be that devout in our prayer life, why can we not have a place and a time that we set aside to communicate with our Savior and our Heavenly Father? Matthew chapter number 6 and verse number 5, and I'm almost done. It says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. We call a time out here. The Lord's not teaching against corporate prayer or public prayer. Corporate prayer and praying with one another and before one another is a wonderful thing. God blesses corporate prayer. I'll tell you what, I have some great times praying with the men here on Saturday mornings when the Lord shows up. Sometimes there's just a handful of men, but boy, I, I, would, rather, I would rather there be a handful of men in the presence of the Holy Spirit than to have this whole auditorium filled with people that come to pray that aren't really there for praying. Well, preacher said I had to, or I don't want to look bad. I don't want to be... Listen, do you think that the Lord's honored by that? Do you think He doesn't know our heart and our motive? Corporate prayer and public prayer is a wonderful thing, but that's not our prayer life per se. Our prayer life is private. There are some times that people will pray and it's to impress people. You know, one of the most sickening things in Christianity is when someone prays and they pray in a way to impress people around them. You've ever heard someone that all of a sudden their words get real lofty and their voice gets real full of air and they start talking to God. Listen, dads, if your teenager came up to you and said, Oh, dad. You'd smack them. Stop talking that way. God's not interested. Listen, we come to God reverently, but we come to Him real. We're not trying to flatter Him or impress Him. Nothing more sickening than prayers that are trying to sound lofty and impressive. They have their reward. Verse number 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. Now, There's a principle here. You don't have to pray in your closet, okay? And I'm thankful for that because my wife has too many shoes and there's not enough room to pray. He's talking about a private place where you can be and it's just you and God. If it happens to be your closet, then so be it. Shut the door. Pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth all things ye have need of before ye ask. Listen, be real. Don't try to impress God. Don't try to be lofty. Be reverent, but be real. Be yourself. 
Open up your heart. Get rid of that protective bubble that you have with all of your human relationships because you don't want them to know your imperfections. You don't want them to really know you because then they might reject you. Forget all of that. God accepts you because of what Jesus did, not because of your performance. So forget it. And just open up your heart and talk to the Lord. We should never be ashamed to pray publicly. Daniel wasn't. But praying publicly or habitually is not your prayer life. Your prayer life is this secret, private time that we spend with God. Listen, you all would agree with me. You know it to be true. We adjust our schedules for whatever we feel is important. You want to do something, then you're going to adjust your schedule. You'll clear the deck. You'll take a day off from work. I mean, you'll 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 just you'll readjust your schedule for something that you find value in. Why pray tell? Pray tell. No pun intended. Why pray tell? Can we not do that for the Lord? Why can we not get up an hour early? Why can we not stay up an hour late? Well, I need my sleep. Yeah, well, that's what the disciples thought and Jesus was going through. There was, there's some things that are a whole lot more important. Hey, why can't I put my phone down? Why can't I turn off the TV? Why can't I say, you know what? Yeah, I'd like to go golfing, but I haven't prayed. And spending time with God is more valuable and more important. We schedule based on priorities. Well, you know what? And I'm not, listen, I, please don't misunderstand me. God gave us a lot of things to enjoy. Having a prayer life does not mean that you can't enjoy things. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy your kids. It doesn't mean that your kids, you can't go to their soccer games or spend time with all the different things that are fun and part of life. But listen, if you don't have a prayer life, your kids grow up, you're not going to remember every goal that they scored. You're not going to remember every time that they stopped the opponent. Every time that... You're not going to remember all of those things. Those are going to be so invaluable compared to did you spend some time with the Lord. If it's important, I know this about you, and you know this about you. If you value it, You'll figure out a way to make it work. And so in conclusion, I ask you this sincerely. I ask you this on behalf of the Lord. Do you have a prayer life? Your relationship with Jesus Christ is dependent upon your prayer life. It's not a checklist. It's fellowship. Our relationship with Him is also dependent upon the Bible We talk to Him in prayer. He talks to us through His Word and through the Holy Spirit. But listen, the two go together. If you're in your Bible and if you're in prayer, listen, you'll be praying and the Bible will give you understanding. Remember I told you about standing before the throne of grace? I told you about coming to Him in Jesus' name. Hey, how do I know that? I know that because of what the Word says. Hey, how many times have you prayed and you just feel like, I just, I'm struggling 
I just can't seem to, to, to get that feeling like I'm close to the Lord. You know what you do when that happens? You just trust the Bible. You trust it and not your feelings. I don't feel like God heard my prayer. But the Bible says that He did. So I'm sticking with the book. And we remind, you know, God knows His Word pretty good. We don't have to remind Him of what it says. But we can talk to Him about what it says. You know what? I have no problem with anyone who's got a relationship with me of saying, you know what? I remember what you said, Dad. Or I remember what you said, Pastor, and I'm trying to do that. And you know what? I, they're, they're reminding themselves of what you said. That's the way that relationships work. The Bible and prayer, they go hand in hand. We did this crazy drill back when I played football in high school called monkey rolls. And uh, some of you who ever played football, you remember monkey rolls. And it was, you'd have three guys laying on their back, helmets facing the same direction, and the guy, there'd be a little bit of space in between. And so the guy on one side would get up real quick and he'd dive over the guy next to him and roll and then lay on his back. And then the guy that's on this side would jump over him and roll and lay on his back. And then the guy that's on the outside, and it just you just kept doing this and this, rolling. And you know what? That just seemed like a, like a crazy drill. But how many times in my life have I tripped and fallen, and instinctively, I rolled. You know, you know how you know how people get hurt when you trip or you slip and you fall. And just like my son, the first time that we went snowboarding, um, he he rented a snowboard. This was in 2008, the year right before we moved here. Is that correct? So he rented a snowboard. The guy who checking out the equipment told him, "Look, if you slip or you get ready to fall, just tuck and roll." And Josh just kind of thought he was, he was being funny or something. Josh got about 10 yards, if even that, down the slope. It was real icy. The snowboard came up and guess what he did? He put his arm down to try to brace his fall and he broke his arm clean in two and so much. In fact, the bones in his arm overlapped each other by about an inch and a half. And we had to take him down from the ski slope, take him to the emergency room, and ultimately we had to take him to surgery because they couldn't get that pulled apart, they couldn't get it set, and they had to open him up and put some pins in and do surgery. Why? Because his instinct was to put his hand down. He had not trained himself, just like monkey rolls in football, that when you're getting ready to fall... You don't brace yourself, you tuck and roll. Well, if we would teach ourselves the instinct of prayer by having a prayer life, it might just keep us from a lot of heartache and pain. Listen, this is one of my last thoughts here. We live in a day where there are so many things that we can do that we would like to do. You know, back, you go back a hundred years ago, 
for people to take time to pray, it wasn't that big of a deal to them because the only other thing they had to do was to work out in a hot field with a hoe in their hand, right? Now, to think to take a break from working like a dog to go spend an hour in prayer, I think even teenagers would say, I want to pray. But that's not today's culture. I mean, you can, you can play a video game on your phone anywhere and anytime that you want. Things that are amusing, entertaining. You can watch any show that you want anytime. We've got excess money that we can go to Carowinds or we can do this, we can do that, we can play sports, we can do... There's all kinds of things that we can do that are available to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We have the resources, we have the means, and it makes it difficult to have a prayer life because we're having to say no to a lot of things in order to do what's right. Personally... I think that the Lord understands that. And I know if I was in his shoes that I'd be pretty pleased if my children were saying no to a lot of fun things that they could do so that they could have a relation. It would be mean a lot to me to know that, hey, they're not pulling away from a sweaty field. They're pulling away from a game because they believe I'm that important to them. So, three questions and I'm done. What can you do to make your fellowship with Him right and meaningful? Is your heart right with God? Do you have sin in your life that you're hiding and God knows about? You try to pray, but you just, you know. When you're not right with God, you know how it is. When you're praying, it's like you're praying with a mirror in front of you. You're not seeing God, you're just seeing yourself. Why don't you just get right with God? Say, Lord, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to neglect this anymore. I'm just going to get it right with you because I want to have a prayer life. Secondly, what can you do to train your instincts to pray? Can you make it important? Can you make those habitual prayers meaningful? And what can you do to make your prayer life a priority? Here in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm going to to ask you to search your heart, to examine your life, and say, Lord, what is there that I can give up or change in my schedule? Where is there a place on my property or otherwise where I can find a closet, a private time, and a private place where I can have a prayer life and talk to the Lord? What can you do? These are three questions that I want you to ask. I believe the Lord wants you to ask here today in order to establish a time and a place to have a prayer life.